The Giants dropped their third straight game on Sunday. Yet here we are, still alive to win the NFC least going into Week 17. What a funky season. We break down the 27-13 loss to the Ravens and examine how exactly Big Blue can find their way into the playoffs, despite being 5-10. and 10. We also will chat with a two-time Super Bowl champion Giants running back, but not one of my teammates. We take it back to the other two titles. It's the great Otis O.J. Anderson. All that and more next on a how in the world can the Giants still win the division, but glad we somehow are still in this damn thing edition of Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome back to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Happy holidays, happy new year to all our Blue Rush listeners. Subscribe to Blue Rush on Apple Podcasts where you can rate us five stars and write in a nice review. If you don't have Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, NYPost.com is where you can find us. Our host of Blue Rush all season long are Lawrence Tynes and Paul Schwartz. Guys, the Giants lose 27 13 of the Ravens. They've dropped three straight games. The offense looked lousy, but here we are going into week 17, and they're still alive to win the division. How about that, Paul? It's like those zombie movies, right? They're dead, but they come back. Then you stab <laughs> them, and they come back. And then you bury them, and then they you know, uncover the dirt, and their hand comes up, and they come back. I think the Giants are dead, but the stats and the schedule and the standing say they're not. Lawrence, aren't they really dead, though? They're sort of dead. I mean, I, after seeing what they put out there the last three weeks and today when everyone said this week they were going to approach it like a playoff game and they didn't show up and they got bludgeoned by this Ravens team today. They got their will taken away today. First time I've seen them get dominated like that. So the fact that they're still in it gives all of us hope. But again, I'm not, you know, we'll talk about it later in the week, but my God, they have to beat a really good playing Cowboys team right now. Yeah, I mean, before we get into this game, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about this game. You're right. They got their butts kicked, offense, defense, everywhere. Um, The last three games, Lawrence, 73 to 26, this losing streak. Well, the way I put it in the New York Post from Monday's paper is there was one playoff team on the field in Baltimore. It was the Ravens, right? The Giants did not in any way, shape, or form resemble a playoff team. No. So, But they are alive because if they finish with the same record as Washington, they get in via, and and even if Dallas has the same record, if three teams finish 6-10, and the Giants would have a 4-2 and record in the division. That would be the best record of any of the NFC East teams, and they would become the first team in NFL history to go 6-10 and and make the playoffs. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. Is there anything out of this game that makes you think, A, they deserve the playoffs, or B, they could possibly come close to winning a game in the playoffs? Uh, No, quite frankly, no. There's just (laughs) nothing they do. The special team, the bad special teams popped up again today. Everything was bad. I question their their offensive plan every week. It's so predictable. It's one and two man routes. Uh, sure, there were some drops today. They're just not good enough. I mean, they're they've hit a lull here. They were trending upwards in weeks like seven through twelve, and then through fourteen through sixteen. I mean, they've looked as bad as they've looked all year. Now, let me ask you.
you something. Is this a simply a case of if Daniel Jones can't run, they can't run a functional offense? Now he was he looked better today. You know, he, he stood did. in the he stood in the pocket hard in that second half. He was sacked six times. The Ravens knew he was throwing throwing. They kept coming after him. Yeah. He kept getting hit. He kept getting knocked down. Three sacks on three straight plays, one after another after another. Yeah. And he, he keeps on getting up, but he's clearly not comfortable running. He doesn't want to run. He ran one time in this game near the end. Uh, you know, he was getting rushed. He yeah. ran for three yards. So it, it can, can it be said that if Jason Garrett doesn't have Daniel Jones running the ball, they can't put together a cohesive offense? Is it that simple? I mean, that's what it looks like. I mean, watching today's game, it looks like they just are, they don't know what they are. They I, th- I thought they abandoned the run early again. They keep doing that. Gallman was getting some chunk plays. I thought Morris was running okay. You, they, they tried to stick with the run. Of course, it's hard to run against that defense. But when Daniel can't run and he has no RPO game, this offense is futile. They're terrible. I mean, they're not even really good when he is doing that. So think about it when they take that element of the game away. I mean, they've scored, what, two touchdowns in the last three weeks? That's tough. Yeah, well, seven points, six points, and 13. No, 13 is a eruption, right? That was the, what they scored yeah. in the last two games. You know what, though? But the defense really put the offense in a bad situation here, didn't they? I mean, uh, you know, we got we got a – you know, we've been praising the defense on this podcast often – weekly, semi-weekly, but the defense was really, you know, I don't, the old thing, I know players hate this, Lawrence, right? When you say they weren't ready to play, right? I'm sh- How many times in your career did you hear that when your team lost, man, you guys weren't ready to play? You hated to hear yeah. that every time, right? Yeah, yeah you don't want you to know, hear that. It's like, it's like, no, and a lot, you say, look, don't tell me we weren't ready to play. We just didn't execute. So maybe it's not they weren't ready to play, but they were completely on their heels. And and Joe Judge mentioned it that that Patrick Graham's defensive formula in this game was to stop the run. Okay, to totally stop the run. And and so Lamar Jackson threw a little bit in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not set the edge at all in this game. And here's where the lack of any really quality outside linebacker was big. Right? They have they have inside linebackers playing outside linebacker. They have rookies playing outside linebacker. They did not set the edge at all. And that first drive was so easy and so methodical. It, it would almost, it was eight minutes. It almost kind of like told the Giants right there, you ain't stopping us today. Yeah, they just imposed their will on the Giants defense. I mean, the Giants had the ball for one minute in the first quarter and they had what, 13 yards? That's historically probably their lowest output ever in a quarter. I mean, Carter Coughlin rushing against DJ Fluker is a mismatch all day long. DJ Fluker is six whatever he's got size 22 shoes Coughlin's built like a safety I mean they just manhandled our front and we have big guys on the interior they just again I think it's a talent void but again the Ravens Lamar Jackson played really well today I'll I'll give him a lot of credit he threw the ball when he had to throw it and he looked like the old MVP today he ran when he had to but he didn't just run it every time I mean he picked his spot so you know that's a that's a high quality NFL football team right there they're probably going to finish with 11 wins and that's who uh, the Ravens are and Harbaugh has has built a, a great program in Baltimore, and that's why they're consistently every year in the playoff mix. Yeah, this was a, a situation where the Giants were outclassed. Dexter Lawrence said um, after the Giants gave up 155 rushing yards in the first half, 249 for the game, he said, that's not us. He was asked, are you embarrassed? He said, we're not embarrassed. That's just what we put on tape in the first half, and we don't accept that, okay? That was a problem. Another problem was this has not happened with this defense much at all this year. They had two blatant busts in their defensive yeah. backfield. Plus, 
I mean, Des Bryant, I mean, Lawrence, yeah. could he have been more open? I mean, it was unbelievable no. how open he was. They had two blatant busts, and that has not been indicative of this defense. That was very alarming. Yeah, that was. And it was down in the red zone where they're typically very, very good. Um, and, you know, Lamar's not the greatest thrower down in the red zone. They do kill you with the run. But they scored throwing a, a touchdown pass to Des Bryant, who – Hasn't played a lot of football, so they had a bust there, and that was unfortunate. But the game by that point was out of out of hand anyway. It was. And um, Daniel Jones, I thought, you know, I mentioned earlier, I thought he, he hung in there okay. They had nothing going in the first half. He got into a little bit of a rhythm in the second half. Some passes to Sterling Shepard. Now, Sterling Shepard played hard, Lawrence. He played. He kept on getting up. He does, he was, yeah. He was battling for first downs. Look, he's not a game-breaking player. He had some under routes, and he he, he – Kept on moving his feet. He took some hits, got some first downs. Fine. Evan Ingram, a little bit of that. Okay. Slayton lost oh. in space again. Yeah, he's he's space. having a tough, he's having a rough second season. I mean, what do you see from him? I mean, I, I think he's banged up, but as you say, if you're playing, nobody cares, right? If you're playing and you're getting your snaps, nobody cares. You got to produce. I, How alarmed are you by what you've seen from him? Yeah, I mean, it, it can happen, but I, I am a little bit, you know, he got off to the real hot start in the first game of the year with two touchdowns. It looks like he is winning, but I think what's happening is, and it shows he's not a true number one, uh, opposing teams put their best corner on him and he can't beat that guy and he can't beat him consistently but, you know, the thing with Slayton is he doesn't make contested catches. You know, I watched a couple of games today where we're seeing a bunch of contested catches and the receivers are coming down with it. And and he just he just doesn't come down with contested balls because there's a couple of times, obviously, that was a big play, uh, the little kind of over-the-shoulder pass fade route. It, was, it would have been a tough catch, but, you know, it hit his hands and could have kept the drive going. But he's had some untimely drops in the past couple, two, three weeks here. What did your former coach used to say? Sometimes you have to play above the X's and O's, right? You know, yeah. we can we can draw it up. We yep. have it down. At some point, the ball is in the air. You got to go get it, period. And it's not an easy catch. It's, it's not an impossible catch. It's one you have to yeah. make. Sometimes on defense, we draw it up. Okay, something happens. You're not in the same place. You got to make the play. The Giants do not play above the X's and O's on offense almost no. ever, almost ever. You know, and, no. and that, that's, as you said, every week, you know, we watch these games, right? And you see, holy cow, that's a great catch. Holy cow, that's a great catch. Look at that dive into the end zone. The Giants don't do a lot of that. And looking forward, that is something that they have to address. Playmakers. Dine, We're dine looking for yes. playmakers, right? right. That's, why, that's why people use that word playmaker. And Daniel Jones, to some extent, too, I just – I feel like if if it's not there, he he's he's incapable of making a play because he's not able to run around anymore, and he's not a playmaker. They just don't have any playmakers. I mean, that's the simple facts about this Giants offense. They just don't have anyone that's going to do anything beyond the X's and O's. You know, there's a lot of talk about this game. You know, we can put this game to bed pretty easily because it's it was not a good game. <laughs> I mean, it was it was not. It was it was fourteen nothing. It was seventeen nothing. They had Bad. no chance. They, they, they cut it to 13 points uh, with about six and a half minutes to go. They went four and out, and that was it. You know, they had no chance to win this game. We all saw it. But do you think, you know, Joe Judge was asked after this game, point blank, how do you make an argument that this team is progressing, considering, like I said, 73-26 the last three games? They had the four-game winning streak, then they get right in the tank. And yep. Joe Judge, you know, bristled a little bit. He said, I don't have to make an argument. I can turn the tape on every week. I can watch with our players. I can see how we improve. I can see what we're deficient in. But I am not going to have to make an argument about this. Are they progressing? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I, I, I maybe I'll have to look closer at the tape I watch. I mean, I it's hard to say that when you're losing. Now there may be some individual players. Yedem had a had a bad game. I will shout out Graham Gano, a special team shout out for tying the franchise record 29 field goals in a row. Um, but outside of that, I just don't see anything that pops that says, "Oh wow, this guy's really gotten better." I just don't know of a player to hand pick. I mean, Pert got beat for three sacks in a row. I mean, probably two. They won't give him the third, but he's kind of regressed. I don't know if it's being in and out of the lineup. Lemieux consistently gets beaten pass protection. Andrew Thomas. I mean, I think he's the one guy, if you know, that if you want to pick a guy that's played well, I would say it's him. But outside of that, it's hard to pick a guy and say they're improving based off statistics. You're right about all of that. And it, 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 this is a team that's alive for the playoffs yet. In so many ways, you get a feel for a team. And the feel for this team is they kind of are, not kind of, they are sagging to the finish. They kind of need the season to end, right? Lawrence, you've been on teams where you're, you're going up or it's like, look, you're playing hard. You want to finish strong, but you can kind of look around and say, the season's going to have to kind of end here. You know, we're kind of like ready to end the season, right? You've been on teams like that, I'm sure, right? No. I mean, I told you guys, I only played on one team that was below 500. I never was on a team that was always out, that was ever out of it. I don't know what these guys, you're, it you're has a winner. Been. Lawrence, you're a, a winner. winner. You're a winner. I have, listen, in college, I was fortunate to play on winning teams and pro football i did have a i'll tell you what cfl let me let me take this back to two all right cfl here we go cfl my I, my first year there i was i only played like half the season so i re-signed for the next year and up there you play 18 games can you believe it and we make one tenth the money so nfl take note we were two and 16 Who's we? Who's we? The Ottawa Renegades. The Renegades. Okay. We were number one in Tunisia. Now we are number, number one in Canada. One in Thank Canada. you. Canada. Cook your bacon up for us. Thank you. So um, that was a different deal. But yes, maybe four and 14. I'd have to go back and look, but it was pretty painful. So that's how, my how, one. How did that Scottish accent go in, in Ottawa? How was that? I didn't ever, I never pulled it out. Never no? had to. I just said, no? take off, eh? Just drink B- bloody lugs, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of. Scottish people in Canada. Labats? You drink a lot of Labats there? No, we actually, this was the greatest thing about Canada. We're getting way off course here, but this is It's fine. Did you see the giant game? We can get off course. It's okay. Real quick, in the CFL, obviously, your team, um, some of the guys have regular jobs. So, like, we had a police officer that would come in, (laughs) take off his uniform, go to practice. But we had, we were sponsored by maybe Labats, and we had beer in the fridge. So, in Canadian football, after practice, what do you do? You sit around with your teammates and you have a beer in the locker room. It was amazing. It was, uh, I love the CFL though. I really do. Loved it. After practice, you had beer. Have a beer. Yeah, yeah, with the guys. It was just like having a water or a Gatorade. <laughs> that would have been interesting with Tom Coughlin after practice, right? Yeah. Tom, you know, Tom, Tom, like, and say, coach, coach, I did this in the yeah. CFL. It, it was good. I enjoyed my time in the CFL. I love the CFL. But yeah, it was. A, that was the one season where I can't say the Giants are there yet because it's been up, it's been down, and then they kind of went up and now we're we're back in the in the bottom part of the roller coaster. Guys, at 4.30 p.m., I know there's been a lot of negativity on this, but 4.30 p.m. Sunday, a ring of the new year, there's a chance that 4, 4.30, that the New York Giants are going to the playoffs. Yeah. And I think you got to go mean, in it. You know, you, you guys will talk about it more thir- on Thursday's show uh, to preview the game and everything, but they can still make this thing. And Philly can beat Washington, especially oh, if Taylor Heinke or Dwayne Haskins is at quarterback. So that could happen. And if the Giants can take care of their, their own business, we're wearing NFC East champion shirts on Monday morning, Ooh. and they're not shipping them out to a third-world country. I'll tell you that. Hold on, hold on. When you go 6-10 and 10 and you win the division, you don't print out shirts. Okay? No, I'm buying I a shirt. It's, no, it's going to be like Hankies, or it's going to be like – 
you know, those little Dickies guys, you know, used to wear. That's what it's going to be. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, hankies, you know, little terrible towels. I don't even know. Maybe sleeveless. Jake, you wear a lot of sleeveless, right? Maybe like a I got to show off the gun show, of course. Yes. God bless the NFC East champion shirt makers. They're going to have to have three, four, three different models. Three. Yes. Washington, Dallas, and Giants ready for Sunday. Somebody's getting some shirts. That's exciting. And listen, week Our 17. Our fans in Tunisia are getting some shirts. Yeah, to send them to Tunisia. Send them up to Canada now. We got a new listenership up yes. there, the CFL fans. But you got to be excited. I mean, it's lousy football. They're probably not going to win, but... It's pretty cool that we we didn't expect this to happen. Let's be real. Three straight losses. We thought this thing would be over. So you got to be kind of pumped. Everything aligned. Look, look, there's a couple of things that that you have to separate this. You have to say the Giants are what they are, five and ten. You have to analyze it that way. Then you say, okay, push that aside and say, okay, we have a chance to win as the Giants. You have a chance to win a game and get into the playoffs. Fine. And that will be an accomplishment and and that will be good. But even if they do, they'll they'll be six and ten. You have to judge them for what they are. And these last three games have been alarming. They did not respond. But with one more game to go, Dallas is not a bad team. They have a really good offense. So it will be very important, regardless of what Washington does, for the Giants to see if they can muster up something, put a better product out there, and finish with a win. That would be a big feather in Joe Judge's cap, whether he's in the playoffs or not. It would be. You know, know, someone who's gotten a free pass on this show, and I think even in the mainstream media, Jason Garrett. You guys, he should be called out. His offensive play calling is horrible. It's terrible. It's so bad. I mean, there's no innovation. There's no motion. There's no... High, you know, no one's ever open down the field. Like I watch every game. There's at least four or five plays where no one's near a guy and it's all based off motion and offensive game plan. His game plan has been terrible. I thought all season, Lawrence, with Daniel Jones and with this offense, it's been very, the word I would use is remedial. You know, it's almost like they started but, but why? Why in the beginning they- and broke down everything. Uh, I don't know because, and then I, th- I think he gives a little bit yeah. and then he, realizes they can't handle it then he gives a little more and he realizes they can't handle it so he pushes back Um, look the whole uh, the whole offensive system needs to be looked at i'm not saying everyone needs to be fired but they need to look at daniel jones and jason garrett and you know they've already fired an offensive line coach they need to look at everything on offense and to see what is going on several years ago when they were making all kinds of changes John Mara got up and talked to us after the last game of the season and said, our offense is broken. It's pretty darn near broken. I would agree. It's broken. It it just is so damn predictable. They've got like two run plays. They never run anything outside the tackles and we've got athletic guards. So it's simple. It's in the middle and everything is just, I I think Sterling Shepard. Yeah. He admitted that he had a bust on that play today, but did he ever think that Daniel was going to have enough time to throw that route? That's probably why he ran the original route was like, Oh, well, there's no way in hell. Of course he did get time. And early on, I'll say this early on in that game, the offensive line played really well. They gave Daniel a ton of time to make throws. He was climbing in the pocket, but he's still rusty. You know, I just, uh, I just feel like they're he's handcuffed because last year we saw all this athleticism and maneuverability and plays, and of course that was a different play caller. So, guys, uh, the Giants look drunk out there. Sarah McCrory surprisingly not drunk this week, but she might be drunk at four thirty <laughs> next week. Either way, win or loss, Sarah, you maybe leftover uh, eggnog, spiked eggnog. Do you have a Do you have a drink before we hand it off to OJ Anderson of of preference for uh, for the new year on Thursday? What is the Sarah McCrory? Drink of the drink of the week, flavor of the week. Probably like a vodka soda. Mm. 
Easy. Sorry, that's boring. Keep Maybe I'll go with some dark liquor. Calorie countdown. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what I started drinking when I lost weight. Vodka soda is a great. But I am done drinking as of January fourth. I'm doing a dry month, so. Oh, okay. If the right. Giants do go to the playoffs, it's going to be. I'm tough so, I make it sound well, like she's an alcoholic. January fourth. <laughs> that's four days into the month. So I know, it's, but it's a Monday, so I'm doing a whole thirty. So it's thirty days. It's it's after the Giant away. game. It's the day after, so that makes yeah. sense. So she gives her one more chance to do it, and then <laughs> if they make the playoffs, God forbid, we don't know what she's going to do. January tenth, January 9th. That game is going to be uh, interesting. But uh, joining us next is a great Giants running back who won two Super Bowls. It's OJ. Anderson, right here on Blue Rush. Joining us next on Blue Rush is a two-time Super Bowl champion Giants running back, but it's not the usual two-time champion that we've been talking to from the Lawrence Tynes teams. It's Super Bowls 21 and 25 in 1987 and 1991. He was the Super Bowl MVP in that 91 win over the Bills. He was the NFL Comeback Player of the Year for Big Blue in 1989. He's a two-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Can you believe it? With the St. Louis Cardinals football team. He ran for over 10,000 yards and 86 touchdowns. In his career, he made an appearance on season one of Blue Rush, but now with our new host in season two, let's welcome in number 24, Otis, a.k.a. O.J. Anderson. O.J., it's Jake Brown, Lawrence Tynes, and Paul Schwartz. Welcome to Blue Rush. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. How are you? Hey, man, appreciate it. Thank you. That was a great intro. Only thing you said that you missed out was all of those credentials and still not a Hall of Famer. Wow. I, listen, I agree with you, man. You should probably be in the Hall of Fame. Listen, yeah. if that was up there, I would have included it. It should be. Maybe one day. Who knows? There's still time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. we're glad to have you on, man. And, you know, it's been rough the last couple of weeks. You've been watching every game. Tell us what you've been seeing here as the Giants lose their third straight. Well, you know, one week I think – Daniel tried to come back too soon, and that was a game against the Cardinals. I felt that they would have kept Cody in there. They might have had a better chance of winning the football game after what they did against Seattle. And, and you know, they did it by running the football. I, I don't, I mean, I, I understand kind of what Derek thinks about, but this time of year, you got a team that's struggling to, do, to uh, pass protect and, and, and stand out of third and long and second and long. They ran the football, and that's how they beat Seattle. They was a manageable down. They was getting six, seven yards of pop up first down with Gilman running the ball and, and Mars is coming in. So I felt going into that freaking uh, final game, they stick to the same format, we were going to win it. And they just went back to what they did when we was 0-5 or 1-5, throw, throw, throw. So, you know, you live by the pass, you die by the pass. OJ, it's Paul. Um, uh, why am I surprised that a, a running back of your caliber is saying things like you live by the pass and die by the pass, right? I mean, it, it's – um. look, the Giants had 12 carries for 54 yards against the Ravens, which which I would say is like, what, an OJ Anderson good first quarter, right? I mean, that that's about what <laughs> you would get in the first quarter. Um you know, can these teams be built by running the ball? And and when you saw the Giants take a, a running back, Saquon Barkley, number two in the draft, did you pump your fist and say, the running game is back? Or did you say, why did they take a running back so high? No, I felt that, you know, um, 
a running back at that they keep the most most important player or the best player in that position at the time. And then you live by that. But uh he's not a bad player. I mean you can't go wrong when you pick a running back that does the thing that he did his first year in and you just gotta just surround him with better talent and, and hopefully but you know, prior to that, Wayne Gelman, I felt Wayne Gelman coming from Clemson, winning national championship, I felt having that boy around and I thought that the team was gonna be turned over the Rangers were gonna be turned over to him because I like a lot about what I saw him when he was a rookie in his second year and you know behold they, you know they got who they got but um I was a big fan of, of Gelman for a while and he just does things the, the, he one couldn't get up in the hole and always looking at the positive yards kind of what I started thinking about toward the end of my career was not how many how, how many yards I can break the big run but how many yards I can keep pushing the pile and, and make it manageable yards for my quarterback so so you know you, you can't go wrong with a talent like, like Barkley you can't Sorry. He did. When you saw Saquon at his best before he got hurt, you know, they'd say things like generational talent and everything like that. You know, you know, running backs. Was he special, do you think, OJ? Is he someone who you look at and you say, this guy comes around once every five or 10 years? Yeah, well, you know, running backs are down a dozen. And you, you, you see these generation backs come up, come and go. Uh, he's probably one of the young, best young ones. You see McCaffrey, but you, you see what happens when you have. A running back who's 80% or 90% of your team, how they go down, how they break down. If you can't surround them with other talent and there's all you, you, you have to go on, then you're not going to have him around as long. He's going to give you about five or six years. And like any car, if you're driving it at 100 miles an hour every day, it's going to break down. So don't give. You can't, can't expect that to hold up, you know, year in, year out if he's the dominant force behind your, your, your wins and losses. OJ, it's the other LT. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. I have to say that all the time. I know that. We once spent a week on a cruise ship together, so me and Otis have hung out. That's right. Um, so Wayne Gallman's a free agent, and Saquon has an ACL. I think they should try and re-sign him. I don't know that they will. But having said that, do you think they should commit some resources to Wayne Gallman based off Saquon's injury? I think you have to. I think if you look at what Wayne has done, given the opportunity, he's been a quiet assassin to me. He has not rebelled about not playing a lot. When he was kind of in the position to take over before they went and got Barkley, I, I think they should commit to him. I think they should give him, you know, some good money and keep him around because, you know, you're coming off of ACL and, you know, God bless, I never had one. So I kind of don't know what to deal with. The only thing I've had was a hyperextension, hyperextended knee. And, and if you had one of those, you kind of got an idea. But um, you just don't know what you're going to get when you have those kind of injuries. Um, some guys have come back and done well, uh, you know, there's there's been proven. So it's just a matter of see, you know, see what you got. But when you stop, body stop breaking down like that, and I understand it's not his first knee surgery, I heard, maybe. So but you, you kind of wonder if, you know, I mean, he works hard. He's a strong worker. You can tell by his body that he does a lot to his body to really prepare himself. I don't know if he overdo it, you know. I, I said a long time ago, hey, man, you can call me anytime. I can talk to you. But um, Stephen and I predicted he was going to get hurt just by what he was doing. OJ Anderson joining us here. Follow him on Twitter at OJ Anderson 24 and Instagram at Otis underscore OJ Anderson 24. Is Daniel Jones the guy, or do you need to see another year from him? Are you a little bit worried that he's not the future quarterback? No, I think we just need to get some more help. I, I think this year, being that whoever wins the division is going to still be in the top 15 first-round pick, you know, the draft will be crazy, or top 10 maybe. I, I think Daniel needs a receiver that can go over the top that make defenses worry about the running game. And we need a, a good outside pass rusher because we got some dogs up front. Them, 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 you know, Williams and 
You know, uh, he, he, you know, he, they just do so much up front. Watching the big D line with come off the ball uh, the way they do, uh, you know, with Lawrence, and they just it, they just need a good outside linebacker and a good over the top receiver that can make defensive coordinators worry about getting beat over the top, and uh, now the running game could be more effective. Oh, Jay, I always wanted to ask you when you came to the Giants, right? It was it was midway through the '86 season, right? And you mm-hmm. you had five a thousand yard. I mean. A lot of a couple of the years, way over a thousand yard seasons with the St. Louis Cardinals. You get traded to the Giants, and you're not used a lot right away. You score a touchdown in that Super Bowl, but weren't like you know. I think some people think they remember and they say, "Well, he came to the Giants and was immediately this great sensation." You were not. You had to kind of build up and build up with Parcells and the Giants. So when you were traded, did in your head did you say this is great, or did you say? What the heck are the Cardinals doing, and what do the Giants need with me? That lateral one you just said, you know, why they trade me, and what the hell the Giants want with me? Uh, you remember, I was still very young. I was uh, 27, maybe. I had um, a thousand-yard season up until uh, the first three years, 79, 80, 81. Then we had a strike in 82, where we had a uh, shortened season, and then 85, I get hurt, missed nine games. So I really didn't have a lot of thread torn off my tire at that particular time when they traded me and and the fact that um I had pretty much pulled a hamstring in uh in in training camp and then finally got it back together by the time we played the Giants. And the only reason why I didn't get much run when I got traded there, uh when we was five and one and one and five when I left the, the Cardinals was the fact that uh, I pulled my hamstring against Philadelphia and I took the whole season to kind of get back right. Uh, Parcells didn't really need me during that time, so I, that was another time to just get back and heal my body and give my game a chance to uh, replenish myself. So when I was called upon in 89, I was ready to go. OJ, speaking of Parcells, you, you obviously played for one of the greatest coaches ever, Coach Football. And Joe Judge, obviously he's new, but man, he has a lot of similarities to Coughlin. We've talked about it on this show, to to Parcells. He kind of comes from that Belichick tree. What do you see from from Joe Judge? I think we could all agree we all like him, but obviously, do you see some of those similarities? Absolutely. Uh, definitely, you see more Belichick than anything else. And, and who was Belichick mentor? Bill Parcells. So, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and again, you can see that. And I think he's going to be good for the Giants. I love his, his enthusiasm. I love the way he wants to get the uh, alumni players uh, around and around the players, and so that they understand the the work and the, and 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 what it takes to be champions. So I, I get it. I, I like him. I think he's going to do well for us. I just hope we can keep him. OJ, when you um, you know the the uh, Bill, Be- you just mentioned Bill Belichick. His game plan for the Super Bowl twenty five is in the Hall of Fame, right? That that defensive game plan. Did you catch wind of that early that week about how the defense wanted to play and how it was predicated on you guys, you know, just controlling the ball against the Bills, controlling the ball against the Bills. Obviously that put a lot of pressure on you. You know, when you heard that this is kind of what the formula was to upset the Bills, did you kind of look at it and say, we can do it or I'm not sure we can do this? Well, it's like any prize fighter who who's trying to learn a new technique 
And it's good if you start off and it sees success with it. But the minute you get punched in the mouth and it don't seem like it's working, then he's going to revert back. Well, luckily for us, we had success. So we stayed with the formula. But first looking at it, we was all you know, like, like what? Uh, they, the defense, basically, they rebelled. They said, there's freaking no way they were going to do that. But, you know, he said, just bear with me and just trust me. I, I, I got this. And, again, because they had success, they bought into it. But let, they got punched in the face. Let that play lost tip ball that Perry Williams made and Everson Walls made that that saving tackle. It, it could have been easy. It could have went in. That that could have changed it. And, and had they scored at that particular time, you know, it, it's like that class fighter. He got punched in the mouth. Now he's gonna go back to what he knows. So it could have easily reverted. I'm quite sure Parcel would have said, "Hey, we can get rid of that. We can defense. Go back to what we do best." <laughs> So that would probably be coming. True or false? When when um, their bills are lining up for that forty-seven yard game-winning field goal, you were confident. True, uh, not confident. False. Uh, did you think, geez, we came so close, but we're not going to do it? You know, what was running through your heads there? Well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to say in 79, coming out of University of Miami, I said if I played in the Super Bowl, I was a feature running back and was playing in the state of Florida, I was going to win most valuable player. That means that your team have to win. So in 89, <laughs> in 89 we're playing the um, – the Rams, Giant Stadium at the time. And the Super Bowl was at Joe Robbie Stadium, which was in Miami. I was a feature running back, okay? We get beat. I go in the locker room. Maurice and I was sitting down, and I'm telling Maurice my story. I said, you know, Mo, I said if I was a feature running back and the Super Bowl was played in the state of Florida, I win with a player. And he said, you know what? The Super Bowl next year is in Tampa. I said, wait a minute, Tampa, Florida? He said, yes. I said, well, Maurice, we're going. So that being said, I told Mark Ingram, who was playing the 49ers, and we was kicking that field goal with Matt, with Matt Barr. He was on the sideline. He was a he said, OJ, you think he's going to make it? He's going to make it. And I said, hey, man, it's my destiny. He has to make it. Sure enough, he made it. So going back to your question, I'm sitting on the sideline. I'm looking at that field goal. Disney is standing behind me. Disney is saying, if you miss the field goal, you're most, your most valuable player. So there's my destiny right there, sitting there waiting for me. So do I think he was going to miss it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> OJ, you mentioned earlier about the Hall of Fame. Does that bother you to this day that you're not in the Hall of Fame? Nah, I kid around about it. I, you know what? I, I played the game because I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the camaraderie. I enjoyed the fact that people tried to stop me. And, I, you know, people who played against me, they know. If you look at the coaches who, who, who sent recommendation letters on my behalf, Bill Belichick, uh, Parcells, Joe Gill, Dick Vermeil, all those guys sending letters to the Hall of Fame committee, speaking on my behalf, heavyweight champion Larry Holmes, who's a close friend of mine, sent in a recommendation letter. So if those coaches know about me and the guys who I played against, the Richard Dents of the world, the Joe Greens of the world, the, the male blood of the world who saw me and played against me, they know. So one day, one day they'll figure it out, hopefully. Hopefully I'm around and they really appreciate it and pick that walk across the stage and all the fans who have supported me early on in my career to be a part of a magical moment. But if it doesn't happen, I'm good. I mean, hell, I was rookie of the year, player of the year, comeback player of the year. So I got 10,000 yards, 86 touchdowns. 
I think I had a pretty good career. And I had two careers. Played in two Super Bowls. I'm 2-0. and oh, I'm, I'm good. Went out I'm on good. top. Went out on hey. top, right? Hey, That's right. Hey. Yes, sir. OJ, OJ, you did go out on, on top. You're a Hall of Famer in my book. Appreciate it. Deion Sanders publicly said that it's it, it's too easy now to get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, they, I could think of some guys. I'm not going to say them on here. But, like, I, I feel like it almost is. Like, you know, like, I'm not saying that Kurt Warner didn't deserve it or a T, Terrell Davis. But Terrell Davis had literally almost half the career you had. And he's in the Hall yeah. of Fame because he kind of played yeah. in that that era. Is that someone that you look at, or do you do you agree with Dion? Do you think it is getting too easy to to get into the Hall of Fame? I mean, it's kind of hard to ask you that when you're not in there when you should be. But I feel like it is. Well, the game has changed so much from what the guys who really were true true winners of what it took to get in the Hall of Fame. If you look at the records that are being broken by these guys now, the game is so much easier and it's so much different. So. You're going to see a lot of guys who don't have the stats or just happen to be at the right era, playing in the right era that give them an opportunity. You know, you got you got Twitter, you got you got uh, Facebook, you got all the avenues that that can keep you out to the public and keep you relevant, so that you know you just do half the things that some of these guys done. You're gonna get in. I mean, look at the Pro Bowl. It's just it's just funny. It's just funny now from what I understood it, it to be when I played uh, the commitment again. It, the game changed because they wanted you know they wanted a healthier game and they wanted a more exciting game. That's why they went with the you can't bump into five yards. The fact when I play, you can bump as long as that quarterback had the ball in his hand, and that's what made it difficult. And you can tackle the way you tackle. Like, you know, the way they hit the quarterback now is almost a penalty on every play. So, again, I understand why if you look at concussions and all those kind of things. But to me, I think you got more players get concussions now than we ever had during my era because there's no hitting. It's almost country club. LT, you know what I'm talking about, that country country club lifestyle. I mean, you got, what, 14 14 padded practices a year. 14, I may be wrong, might be a little more. But it ain't 20. It's mm-hmm. somewhere around 14, 15. So imagine that. And that's counting training camp. Training camp. <laughs> no, we we did that in a week. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, it, in three days, you might have had that many, that many uh, padded prices. Come on. But, again, it's different era, and you understand why. So, you know, you just go with the time. Um, somebody going to be saying something else long, long after me and other guys have moved on about how the system has changed and how it's benefiting those players who are playing currently. So it just moves. It just keeps moving. The, the, the bar keeps being moved up higher. So, yeah. OJ, all the touchdowns you scored, all the yards you gained, all great stuff. This is a stat that puts people in the Hall of Fame. This is a stat that any coach who ever lived will say, I want that running back. You had 739 touches with the Giants. Do you know well, how many fumbles you back- you, back it up you know, and say it again. I wanted to know. Say it again. 700 okay, okay, Here we go. Okay. <laughs> you had 739 touches with the New York football giants. How many mm-hmm. fumbles in those 739 touches? I think I had, I'm going to say two fumbles. One I lost and one we got. Maybe I'm wrong. How many? It, it's listed as three. Okay. Three fumbles. Okay, I don't know how go. many you lost. So let's go with three. Is it, is it, can we agree on three? Okay. Yeah, I know it was close. I know it wasn't that many. Yeah. I knew yeah. that much. Three out of seven thirty-nine. Any coach would take that. What is? Were you almost 
Are you almost insulted by seeing guys carry the ball loose and fumbling? Because that was just not in your DNA to lose the ball, was it? Well, I, I, I got to be honest. If you go back and look at my rookie year, when I went over 1,600 yards, I probably had about eight or nine fumbles that year because I felt every time I touched the ball, I could go the distance. So ball security was not that big of a deal with me when I was 21 and when I was 21, 22 years old coming into the league. I got better with it because I had coaches who preached to me that don't try to make every player a home run play. So, so yeah. And then when you got to be a Parcel team, it, it was you fumble, you go home. Not back to the team, to your house where you pay rent or where you pay a mortgage. So what was more important at that particular time was ball security or unemployment. Well, I bought on ball security. And plus, I was 22. I was running a full 440. I was 215 pounds. Got the bill for sales. I was two and a quarter. I started running about a four six forty. So me trying to go the distance, that's why I couldn't fumble. I would talk about two yards in a cloud of dust. That's what my, my my thought was. Just to clarify real quick, hold on. It was three fumbles. You only lost one of them. So you got the other Yeah, two. so I knew I lost one. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I knew, yeah. You only lost yeah. one. You only lost one. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, damn good. Yeah. Um, OJ, before we let you go, we know you have a special bond with – the OG LT, the other LT, the one not on this show. Some oh, would call yeah. the, the greatest <laughs> linebacker of all time. Uh, you're doing stuff with him with Tridelix. Tell us about it. 5D Technology, ULT, Mark Bavaro. Yeah, so we got this this, this company that actually takes uh, the NFL helmets and photograph it on one-eighth of a, of, of, of acrylic or either um, – well, I'm going to go with acrylic or uh, plexiglass. And it's one-eighth of an inch, which is the size of a nail file. And we can create a 5D depth perception. So when you look at this picture, it looks like it's in a shadow box. And it looks like it's so deep that if you reach in, your hand will continue to keep going through the image. But it's only on one-eighth of an inch of plexiglass. So imagine what one-eighth. Think about a nail file a buffer nail file that you go and get your nails done. I know TL does, the LT does that. So think about that nail file. Think about that nail file, how wide, how wide, how wide that nail file is. The buffer nail file that shines, that gives you that shine when you don't want polish on your nails. That's, that's how thick it is. And imagine an image that gives you a, a perception, a depth perception of reaching into a deep tunnel as if you was reaching into six, eight, of a deepness inside of a picture frame. That's what it gives you. And it's just unfreaking believe It freaks people out because the first thing they do is when they see the, the image, they look and they look behind the glass. They look behind the plexiglass trying to see like, wow, it's got to be thicker than that. But nope, size of the buffer being in their file. Sounds incredible. And I will say I enjoy a good Manny Petty little manicure session. So I'll join LT on that. Got to gotta keep it fresh. Got to stay groomed. Oh, yeah, uh, I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, I know. Tell me about it. I, I, why do you think I know about it? Because I go with the wife. We go at least twice a month. Listen, I, I try not to go solo. I try to bring a, some lady along, make sure make sure they don't look at me weird. But yeah, I, I got to get that Manny. But go to tridelix.com. That's T R I D E L I X.com. And check it out. And you can follow Otis on Twitter at OJ Anderson 24, Otis underscore OJ Anderson 24 on Instagram. OJ, let's hope the Giants win and Washington loses. And we're playing some meaningful January football past uh, January 3rd, I guess it is, next Sunday. We appreciate you coming on Blue Rush, man. Happy New Year. Hey, man, I appreciate you guys. You guys do a great job. And anytime, man, I'm, I'm there anytime. And 
LT, man. Take it easy, boy. That says cheerio to episode 62, the Daryl Des. Yeah, he's an oldie edition of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Blue Rush on Apple Podcasts. Give us that wee five-star rating and write in a nice review, you filthy animals. For Paulie Schwartz, I'm Lawrence Taines. We return to your lugs on Thursday to preview the Giants' must-win game against the bloody Cowboys. Thanks for listening, folks, and stay safe. Gumby at the strip club throwing dollar bills.